Uh, Daniel chapter 4 is the last story in Daniel about uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it speaks of the time when uh, the king was at the, the height of his powers. We, we first met Nebuchadnezzar when Daniel was one of the Jewish exiles and who uh, refused to eat the king's food. And the fact that Daniel's God was in control allowed Daniel to step out in faith. A few years later, Daniel was instrumental in revealing and interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel, relying on God's sovereign presence, told the king his dream and interpreted it. And then, when Nebuchadnezzar built a a gold statue, Daniel's three friends refused to bow to it. God met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right in the middle of their fiery furnace. Now, about 20 years later, Nebuchadnezzar's at the top of his game. He had plundered Egypt, Tyre, Israel, and other nations. Their their treasures helped him beautify and build temples and wonders. His rule stretched from uh, the Persian Gulf in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, from Egypt in the south to Iran in the north, and there was peace all around. And then Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter. In chapter 4 is that letter. The king of all the earth writes to the nations and peoples of every language. If you have your Bible with you, maybe a Bible app on your phone, you may want to turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And let's hear God's word together. King Nebuchadnezzar To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom's an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Nebuchadnezzar was content. His life couldn't get much better. His dream affirmed this. He dreamed of a tree. He saw an image of a a flourishing tree. We might call it the good life. 
In fact, Nebuchadnezzar admits, he was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That word, prosperous, is exactly the word one would use to speak of a tree's fruitfulness. Ever since God planted trees in the Garden of Eden, trees have symbolized the good life. A lofty, verdant tree symbolizes a heavenly reality. Psalm 1 pictures a righteous person as a tree. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water, says Psalm 1, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And Psalm 92 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. And when Jeremiah looks for an image to describe the person who trusts God, he says, He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Over and over, the Bible uses the image of this flourishing tree to represent life in all its fullness. John's revelation saw this vision. He writes, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a tree. His life was flourishing. We might call it the good life. Babylon had grown to be a great city, the centerpiece of a glorious kingdom. Her walls were tall and thick. Four chariots could be driven abreast on the top of them. And they enclosed 225 square miles. And the world wonder hanging gardens, built to please his wife, adorned one bank of the Euphrates as it flowed through the city. A massive temple to his god Bel, along with the various smaller temples and shrines, dominated the center of the city. Nebuchadnezzar's life was flourishing. At some point, most of us have dreams of life flourishing like a verdant tree. Whether dreams of houses or family or work that's ideal for us, we dream of a bit of heaven on earth. The good life means everything's right in our world. We don't obsess about life, but enjoy. Life is good because our hearts and souls are content. Stories told of a a rich industrialist who came upon a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. He wondered why the man wasn't out fishing. The fisherman replied, he'd caught enough fish for the day. Well, said the rich man, you could go out and catch more fish. The fisherman wondered why he would do that, what he would do with them. Well, you could earn more money, the rich man impatiently replied. Then you could buy a better boat so you could go deeper, catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money, and soon you'd have a whole fleet of boats and be rich like me. Well, then what I would would do, asked the fisherman. Oh, why, you'd sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. And the fisherman replied, what do you think I'm doing now? Nebuchadnezzar's dream of contentment was a picture of the good life. He was flourishing like a a towering tree. 
I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Except it all turned topsy-turvy. Suddenly, his dream turned disturbing. Nebuchadnezzar saw something terrifying. Daniel 3 continues in verse 13. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let them be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was disturbed. An angel interrupted his reverie. A messenger from God cried aloud for the tree to be cut down. Nebuchadnezzar's dream became a nightmare. And it only got worse. Daniel interpreted this image. Your majesty, you are that tree. 
for all his greatness, despite having a kingdom that was visible to the ends of the earth, even though he provides food and shelter for many in his great kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar would be brought to nothing. The king would be tossed out, driven away from the throne and his people, nothing more than a wild animal among wild animals. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Ah, there's the catch. Think you're in charge? Think you produced your good life? Think you established your place? All that good can be removed in a flash. Humiliation can descend in a moment. Someone once told the story about a a Fortune 500 CEO. He pulled into a gas station to fuel up. And when he came back to his car after paying, he noticed his wife in deep conversation with an attendant. And it turns out she knew him. In fact, she had dated him before she met her husband. They left the station driving on in silence for a bit. And finally, the CEO, feeling pretty good about himself, spoke up. I bet I know what you're thinking, he said. I bet you're thinking you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a gas station attendant. His wife looked at him for a moment, paused, said, no. I was thinking that if I married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a gas station attendant. Nebuchadnezzar failed to realize the simple truth. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God is the Most High. Only by God's permission was Nebuchadnezzar king. As one commentator notes, Nebuchadnezzar may be king of all the earth, but God is king of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar had to get this straight. Daniel even raised a red flag. He gave him the interpretation of the dream. Daniel told him the tree would be chopped down. He told Nebuchadnezzar that he was that tree. I mean, if the Old Testament uses the imagery of a flourishing tree to indicate a good life, it uses the image of a felled tree to display judgment. For example, Isaiah 10 pronounces judgment against the nations who oppose God's people. God says, See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. Daniel promised Nebuchadnezzar that unless he repents, he'd be chopped down. God would deal with him. The Lord of all would move him from his prosperity, from his power, to being a beast of the field. But humbling wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's way. Nebuchadnezzar chose to ignore Daniel. We're simply told... Chapter 4, verse 28 carries on. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. 
Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven till his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar strolls out on the roof of his royal palace. He's sipping a wine cooler, admiring the wonder of Babylon. He figured that life was good by his doing. Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar considers himself the source of all his goodness. But these prideful words are barely out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth and God confronts him with the truth. He's not in charge. And he must learn one truth. And that important sentence is repeated again. He'd be nothing more than a beast, said God, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Once at the top of the world, God brought Nebuchadnezzar down. He had no divine right as king. His life was in God's hands. And he had to learn that God, the Most High, is sovereign over all, dispensing authority as God pleases. See, no matter what life throws our way, heaven rules. God works in the world to bring his kingdom into our reality. Despite all appearances, the good we have comes from God. The suffering we experience won't separate us from God. God is sovereign over all kingdoms. Jesus is Lord in every circumstance. God can even change braggarts like Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34 continues. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Those who walk in pride he's able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar discovered that greatness belongs to God. When the king had fallen, the only place he had to look was up. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Nebuchadnezzar fundamentally changes. Instead of bragging himself up, he proclaimed a great message. Once the king understood his place, whether prosperous or reduced to nothing, the king was humbled before the face of God. He recognized God's rightful place. God is the king of heaven. 
It's just as true for us today. We serve an ascended Lord Jesus. As someone once noted, Jesus has ascended to God's right hand and is right now the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the President of presidents and Prime Minister of prime ministers. Jesus rules. Jesus is in charge. Whether people know it or not, whether they like it or not. That Jesus is our ascended Lord makes our lives different. We live the truth that heaven rules. Our lives bear witness to the Lordship of Jesus. As we align with him, as we believe in him, as we declare him Lord of our lives. So our our songs and praises on Sunday declare a new reality. Jesus is in charge. Not Hollywood, not Wall Street, not the White House, not any winner of the World Series or any championship. We live Jesus' ascension every day. The Lordship of Jesus affects how we view the news, what lifestyle choices we make, how we conduct our work, how we treat others, or how we care for the environment. If we restrict Jesus to Sunday worship or personal prayer times, then no one will believe that Jesus is Lord of the cosmos. How we live needs to make Jesus as Lord more credible, not less so. A New York pastor had a way of helping people recognize what it meant that Jesus is Lord. He'd often suggest that they go for a walk. First, he'd take them to the Rockefeller Center on Fifth Avenue. There in the entranceway is a gigantic statue of Atlas, this beautifully proportioned man with every muscle straining to stand up under the burden, held the world on his shoulders. Then the pastor would take them across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there, behind the altar, was a little shrine of the boy Jesus. And the young Jesus, with no apparent effort, is holding the world in one hand. You have a choice, the pastor would say. You can try to carry the world on your shoulders. Or you can say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, for you are Lord of the whole world. Heaven rules. Whether life is going our way or we're challenged by difficulty, God is the Most High. Nebuchadnezzar had a choice. We have a choice. Live life with Jesus in charge or think we can go our own way. Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way and going his own way leads to disaster. Because heaven rules. God establishes every ruler and authority and God can bring them down. You don't have to be an ox to realize that. All you have to do is live the Lordship of Jesus right here, right now. Humble yourself before God Most High, and He will hold you up.
Let's pray together. Lord God, we're grateful uh, that you are in charge. That your heaven rules. Because we would be chasing after nightmares if we tried to uh, own life ourselves. And knowing that you, our Lord, sets us free to be your people, living for you in every circumstance of our lives. So, Lord God, impress upon us, as you did Nebuchadnezzar, impress upon us the fact that you are uh, God Most High. That you, Jesus, are our ascended Lord. And that you send us out always to live for you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.